it is so important to cope with all these differences, different opinions, different colors, different religions, different people. If you can master history, understand the culture, and master your relationships with people, the other alternative is not as good, letting others have your way. If you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. The relationships and interactions that we make with each other on a day-to-day -day basis are not only crucial to connectivity, but if used effectively, can be key to self-improvement. Welcome back to the UTPB Communication Files podcast. I'm your host, Caden Hayes. Joining me today is Dr. Bill Harlow, one of the many great professors of the UTPB Communication Program. Listen to his experiences and viewpoints about his time serving as a foreign service officer, teaching classes for UTPB, and his dynamics with the people around him. My name is Bill Harlow. I am a tenured full professor of communication here at UTPB. And it involved kind of a long and weird road to get here. I was at Texas A&M from 1999 to 2002 working on my PhD. That's actually where I met my wife, Dr. Rachel Harlow. And in 2002, we got married and I took what I assumed was going to be a perfectly normal tenure track job at Texas Tech. Um, and I held that for one year. But during that year, I was having the same response that a lot of Americans were to the events of 9-11 about like, what, what is it I can do to help? And it turned out my, there, there was a place to use my skill set. I read an article in the New York Times by Secretary of State Colin Powell, who was talking about something called the Diplomat, Diplomatic Readiness Initiative. We needed to hire more diplomats. So I took the various tests and went through the various processes, and it was an extraordinary honor. The first week of September 2003, I was... I moved to Washington to join the U.S. Department of State, and so I just didn't go back for my second year at Texas Tech. Spent about nine months in D.C., then after that, I spent a couple of years in Mexico City, and after that, I spent not quite a year in Nigeria, and after that, I spent about a year as the Diplomatic Secretary of the U.S. Mexico International Boundary and Water Commission in El Paso, and at about that point, um. Rachel and I got tired of moving around the world all the time, and I took a job, this is 2008, I took a job at UTPB for what I assumed was going to be a year or two, um, as we kind of you know figured out what we wanted to do, transitioning back into academics, but um, it, it became an amazing home for us and for our children. We love the Midland-Odessa area. We love working at UTPB. Um, I was able to, I think my second semester, I became the coordinator of the communication program. We built the online program that we've got now, which has obviously grown in lots of other stages since then. In 2012, I became Dean of Undergraduate Success, where I was responsible for our student success efforts. I stepped back from that not quite a year ago. My last day as Dean was August 31st of 2019. And since then, I have enjoyed being a full-time faculty member again. So yeah, it hasn't been a standard career path, but um, I'm, I'm thrilled about all the detours I've been able to take, and I love what I'm doing now. 
Awesome. Well, it was uh, really cool to have you as a professor. I had you for research methods. I know that you have done research papers yourself. And I also want to ask about um, what those research papers were about. Research is about an approach to life so that whatever question it is you're interested in, you come to a well-informed answer. I think too often in all sorts of walks of life, we fly off the handle and make judgments based on what we think and feel. And of course, those things matter. And to actualize the things we think and feel, we've got to know what the data says. And I guess just growing up, the thing that my dad and my mom and all four of my grandparents, but particularly my grandmother Harlow taught us, was that research matters and investigating questions matter. So in terms of what I write about, the things that I'm most interested in are why do presidents of the United States say the things they do? And I am particularly interested in those times when they elect not to speak. And those don't tend to be questions that you can answer with a neat set of statistics, right? I mean, those tend to be questions that you've got to answer by interviewing people and going into archives and doing things like that. But I've absolutely worked with statistical data in some public relations papers, like some stuff I wrote on the Deepwater Horizon explosion and the public relations response to it. And what kind of research you do, it just really depends on the question you're trying to answer. But data and information matter, regardless of whether you are writing a scholarly paper or coaching a little league team or, or deciding what kind of groceries you're going to buy. That makes sense. I remember for uh, that class, I think the paper that I did was, or the research moreover that I did was about the outcome of the next election or something like that. And I'm not a very political person, but I think it was a good start to kind of get my foot in the door. And I feel like this generation is becoming a little more politically involved. One of the things which is really important to everybody on our communication faculty is that our students become politically involved, right? Like you've got an argument to make and that argument matters. Um, I, I will not answer the question about what any of those of us on the faculty think as individuals. I will say that in terms of our approach to politics and life, it is all over the political map whether you want to use a left-right rubric or whatever you want to do, we think a broad variety of things. And what unites us is the fact that we very much want to help our students um, get involved in the political process and become better advocates for whatever it is that matters to each of them as individuals. Of course. So are there any other classes like research methods, um, I know I didn't take a lot of uh, politically based classes, I guess, just because I wasn't uh, super interested in them myself. But I know there was options for those classes. So could you shed a little bit of light on kind of the curriculum at UTPB? So um, this fall, I'm teaching a political communication class, and I know I am I am incredibly excited about it because I want to help my students understand what the things that are being said, right, in the election that's going to happen this fall. Unless something extraordinarily unusual happens, President Trump will be running for re-election against Vice President Biden. And, I mean, there's going to be a whole lot of conflict around that. There will absolutely be third parties involved 
you will see a lot of Sturm und Drang and just drama around it. And I want to help my students understand what's happening. And once they understand what's happening, let them know how they can get involved with whatever their particular advocacy happens to be. We teach classes like argument and persuasion. I think the other Dr. Harlow is teaching that class right now, actually. Um, again, it's about helping students become better advocates for whatever it is which matters to them. That's what we do in our public speaking class as well. We also want to give students a lot of you know, very practical and applied skills. I'm going to, during the second summer term this summer, I'm teaching a crisis communication class designed to help students identify for their employers, hey, here are the, here's the crisis set we're likely to have to deal with at some point. Here's the sort of preparation we need to do for that day. And then in the moment when a crisis strikes, here's what we need to do. Um, we teach classes like small group communication and organizational communication, which talk about, you know, some, some related skill sets. So our curriculum is designed to help all of our students become better advocates for the things which matter to them, while also giving very specific and applied professional skills that you can walk into an employer with to help make their organization better. Yeah, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this past fall, you were actually teaching a social media class. This spring, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, last spring. Uh, one or A few of my friends were in that class, and it actually looked really interesting because, again, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but one of their projects was to make an account of some sort with some sort of niche uh, community and just kind of upload content onto it uh, regularly uh, month by month. So can you kind of tell me some of the some of the more interesting uh, accounts that your students had made? Absolutely. And that class got derailed halfway through um, because of the COVID related shutdowns. And that made me super sad because I was enjoying these sorts of face to face interactions but that class was both about practical and applied skills as well as you know advocating for things which are important to you. How we got to that class is um, one of the things I enjoyed doing is I love going with my family and taking cruises. Like that makes me happy. I I'm, I'm fundamentally a child of Western Texas. So getting on a ship somewhere in the middle of the ocean is an incredible contrast to that sort of thing. And I started blogging and writing a YouTube channel about it. That's obviously not a heck of a lot happening right now because cruises aren't things which happen amidst the public health crisis. But um, I started doing that and what I wanted to do, and I learned a lot of lessons about how you construct a blog well. And I learned a lot of lessons about how you share your content and get people interested in it. So I offered a special topics class in how to create social media channels and platforms and how to write a good blog and how to construct a good YouTube channel. So I had one student who went from there because right, becoming a good advocate for yourself doesn't always have to be I'm concerned with serious political issues. I mean, that's where my brain normally yeah. goes. But again, I started this class by talking about cruises, right? I had one student who wrote about film. I had one student who wrote about Japanese anime. I had a student who wrote about healthy living options. I had a couple of students who were student athletes who talked about kind of the challenges and journey of being student athletes. So everybody talked about something which was deeply personal to them, which they happened to care about. 
And along the way, we learned about how to build audiences. We learned how to make your videos support your static blog. We learned about all of those things, which are, again, incredibly valuable practical tools, which will help a student when he or she walks into an employer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I was actually keeping up with um, one of my friends, uh, Ruben Guerra. Mm -hmm. Ruben Fashion Blog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really cool. And I know he's a, a very like savvy person when it comes to like trends and kind of like the newest thing. Well, and Ruben's blog in particular, I'm so sorry to jump in, but Ruben's blog in particular was fun for me because, right, like I'm a middle aged fat guy. I made a lot of basic fashion <laughs> choices 30 years ago. So to read something from somebody who who cares and knows what he's doing, right? Like from his and a whole lot of other things, I learned stuff. And that's part of what the scholarly journey should be, right? Is of course, mm -hmm. I should be learning stuff from my students too. Kind of going off, off of that, like what are some things that you're, or do you believe that you're becoming out of touch with, with like uh, this new generation kind of coming in? So, um, I'm lucky, right? I grew up in a house that valued technology and technological advancement, which means that I'm, I'm fundamentally pretty capable, right, of handling whatever the platforms are. The way my mind works, though, is I adopt a platform and I use it. And it looked to me like my students were all over the map about, no, I like TikTok. No, I like whatever, right? Um, so I went in there with the plan of talking about Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram, and all of those were things we talked about. And we wound up talking about probably a half a dozen different platforms. So the thing that I had to adjust to as a teacher is that they use multiple platforms and would quite frequently change from one platform to the other which was, I'll be honest, that wasn't where my mind was going in. But again, I learned that and adapted. And I think the class ended up in a pretty good place. There's a lot of creative students there at UTPB. And I don't think all the students initially know that at first. They, um, I feel like they're a little hesitant to kind of get their message out on social media. Yeah. So the way I like to think of it is everybody's got a story to tell and we want to help you tell it. And um, in the process of helping you tell your own story, you almost necessarily pick up some practical skills, which will make you a more marketable employee or business owner. Mm -hmm. um, kind of like taking a step back, what are some of the experiences you had with being a foreign service officer and going to places like Mexico City and there in Nigeria? So if you travel extensively, you can't think about the world the same way that you used to. And that doesn't make any of my original thoughts wrong. Right? It just meant that you, you necessarily have to change the way that you think about places. I've lived in Mexico and Nigeria. I spent a couple of weeks in Nicaragua. I've traveled some through Indonesia and Japan and through a good chunk of Europe. Um, and once you do that, your opinion about places changes. Mexico no longer strikes me as this foreign country that sounds south, which of course it is, right? Because of course there is a distinct ecosystem than there is in the United States. But Mexico strikes me as a place that I've lived and loved. Um, 
it's it's not it's not my place it's not my home but it was such an enriching fantastic experience and i wish everybody could have it i'm so i'm i'm from west texas right like my mm-hmm. um my dad's family is from abilene my mom's parents were in midland when i was a kid i grew up in san angelo my first professional job was in Lubbock and I first went to grad school in El Paso, right? Like I'm, I'm from here in Western Texas and I, I do all the things that a a kid from Western Texas does, right? Like I played sports and I own guns and I go to church and I do all of that sort of thing. And that's fantastic. And seeing that there are other ways that you might approach life I don't know. I mean, it makes me appreciate the way that I'm able to approach my life. It makes me, I, I hope it enriches my interactions with all the folks around me. And when you were living there in Nigeria, what were some of the differences in communication patterns uh, compared to here in America? So in Nigeria, the unifying language was English. The colonial mm-hmm. language had been English. And almost everybody spoke English, but my observation was that for a decent chunk of the population, English might be a second language. And sometimes that created um, communication barriers within Nigerian society, right? Like you could talk to one another, but not necessarily with the same ease and fluency that you and I are talking to one another. Um, So I think that was absolutely a a communication challenge. I lived in Nigeria in 2006 and 2007 when cell phones were absolutely a thing, but smartphones weren't quite yet a thing. I would be curious to go back and see how that has changed, but um, there was a great deal of print media. There was less TV media. One thing, and I'm I'm so sorry, it's not exactly the question you asked. We were talking about communication in Nigeria. One of, I think, the defining episodes of living in Nigeria for me, which has to do with, I guess, communication media. When I had been there for a month or two, there were two journalists who were brought up on sedition charges because they had written some some articles which the government perceived unfavorably, and I won't go into a whole lot of these specifics and the ins and outs of what we learned in the course of that, but I um like I attended I attended their court hearings, and it was really weird, right? Like when we I remember one court hearing I was there with the Irish ambassador. So of course I was deferential to him because that guy outranked me by a whole, whole lot. But um, there were three agents from the Nigerian state security service who were posted on the wall opposite of the courtroom, making notes about who went in and who went out. And we just, we waved at them, right? We kept having our conversation, but it was really weird to me to be in a place where um you were talking about you know sedition trials for people who wrote articles criticizing their government and then you had a pretty obvious intimidation attempt from people who just wanted to attend the public hearing to find out what had gone on mhm 
And what do you think about like the state of journalism today? Because I mean, obviously it may be going a little bit about a style, especially here in the United States, at least with uh, the print medium, it's becoming more digital. But yeah, but what do you think about kind of the curriculum of journalism and uh, the state of it now? So I have been an adult through what, I guess five presidencies now, um, H.W. Bush and Clinton and W. Bush and President Obama and President Trump. And of those five men, it's obviously not possible that I liked each of the five to the same degree, right? Like that's that's mm-hmm. not a thing. I have had my preferences and my lesser preferences within that group. And what impresses me and makes me extraordinarily proud to be an American is amongst all five of those, there has been robust journalistic coverage of them and lots and lots of folks in the media willing to hold them to account which makes it a little bit easier for the public to hold them to account, right? Like I've lived in a place in Nigeria where there was a pretty naked attempt to silence journalists. And here that is awfully hard to do. And I am grateful for it because our, our press is robustly willing to challenge the sources of power, regardless of whether the source of power is currently one that I do or don't like. And I think for the Republic to survive, that's absolutely something which has to continue. Mm -hmm. And just with like social media, I mean, everyone has a phone nowadays, everyone can post whatever they're thinking at an instant, or it's just like online forever at that point. And when you have, you know, leaders like President Trump, who are always on social media, like Twitter, Uh, giving their opinion, do you think that's a good thing or do you think that's maybe not the best idea? So I absolutely want a world where our citizens and our leaders communicate with one another as directly as possible. What I worry about with the, the rise of social media channels and 300 million news websites and, you know, lots and lots of cable channels and all of that, what I worry about is with such a fragmented media, I'm concerned that there are probably a good number of citizens who are fundamentally getting their news from sources with which they already agree, right? Like a Facebook feed filled with people who agree with them, and then you go to your preferred cable channel, which already agrees with you, and then you go to you know, a couple the, the Twitter accounts of your preferred political leaders and and it doesn't matter if you're you like President Trump or if you like Congresswoman Ocasio Cortez. There there are gonna be Twitter accounts of political leaders who agree with you. And of course you want to get political information from leaders who agree with you. But if your entire media feed is filled by those folks who already agree with you, then I'm worried, right, that too many folks think that means that everybody agrees with you all the time. And thus, opposition is somehow illegitimate. I'm worried that we have a fractured media environment. It makes it much more difficult to reason and argue with those with whom we disagree. So do you believe that people should kind of look at the other side and not just be so, I guess, blinded by their own opinion? Uh, Absolutely. Now, 
I think people should have their own opinion. I think people should become fierce advocates for whatever it is they think. And I think that if you cannot fairly articulate the argument of your opponent, you will not be a very good advocate for yourself. Let us assume that you are in favor of the political party purple, who is running against the political party orange. And let us, you know, think that you favor the purple party's position in favor of what tax rates should be. That's fantastic. You've got your advocacy. You should absolutely pursue that. But if you don't understand what the Orange Party's position is, if you can't articulate that position, then you're not going to be a very good advocate for your own position. And at some point, I mean, your own position's not going to become be tempered by by the realities of the world around you. At some point, you're not going to know that, hey, maybe I was wrong about whatever it was because you haven't seriously considered the arguments of your opponents. So yeah, have your position and become a fierce advocate for it. Just make sure that you can articulate what the position of your opponents is. Okay. And what's some advice that you can give to these students that are still trying to kind of build their character once they're going into college. I, I distinctly remember dad telling me, boy, don't argue about politics. People take it wrong. And, and dad put it about like that, right? Like, you know, son, cut that out. It's rude. You don't want people to think you're rude. And what I would encourage people to think about and of course, you want to honor that lesson. And of course, you don't want to make people constantly feel uncomfortable about things, right? Because that's, that's mm -hmm. just being a jerk. And I think you need to learn that it's okay to argue, right? And that doesn't mean you walk up and you punch somebody in the nose, <laughs> right? And that doesn't mean your first response is, hey, you asshole, right? Like that's not constructive. But it's okay to argue. It's okay to say, you know what, Dr. Harlow, I disagree with you about X because Y. You don't start by yelling, but you don't start by sitting there quietly either. And once you've accepted that premise that it's okay to argue, and once you've accepted that premise that it's okay to disagree, then it becomes a whole lot easier to engage with the folks that you're likely to disagree with right mm -hmm. so learn to argue and the second thing and i really i realize there's some tension between this statement and what i just said but listen more and talk less you absolutely want to talk when there's a point you want to make cool but you don't have to talk all the time um if you just listen to the folks around you you will probably pick up a whole lot of interesting things I guess the last point is be okay with who you are, right? So you talked about being a kid from Robert Lee, right? Like I grew up in mm -hmm. San Angelo. I own some land outside of Merkel, which is outside of Abilene. Yeah. Turns out that what I like doing is going out to that land I own to shoot cactus and to occasionally shoot snakes and stuff. Um, <laughs> And then I go coach baseball and then I do all of these other things. And, and that's not how most college professors handle themselves. Cool. It is okay for me 
to be who I am. And once I accepted that it's okay for me to be who I am, it became a lot easier to accept that it's okay for that the next guy in line to be whoever he is, right? I mean, and as mm-hmm. a professor, I genuinely want to help my students embrace whoever they are. Like you don't, you don't have to be like me. You don't have to be like me even a little bit. You do have to be committed to participating in the larger community around you. Embrace who you are. Listen to the other person, and then be willing to argue with them. Yeah, and I think going through college and going through the communication program there at UTPB. I mean, with communication, it's not just about talking to other people, but knowing the history of things such as rhetoric and learning how to form and articulate an argument and first most how to speak in front of a crowd in general. So I think these are all really good skills uh, to have like when you're going throughout life and going off of that. And I know you're father to two sons, correct? Absolutely. They are 14 and 12. Mm -hmm. And so what are some things uh, such as skills or life lessons that you're trying to teach them before they go out in the world on their own? So Admiral McRaven, the, the previous chancellor at the University of Texas system and a, a career military officer who directed the mission which ultimately killed Osama bin Laden, said something in a commencement address at UT Austin and said, first you start by making your bed. Because if you start by making your bed, then you've accomplished something and it becomes easier to build on that with the next accomplishment for your day. So I try very hard to teach my children that accomplish something Right? Like I, I legitimately don't care what their, their chosen fields of endeavor are. They're going to be different from what I'm interested in, and that's fantastic. Accomplish something, right? And mm-hmm. handle your business. Um, like, you know, make sure that people can can count on you to do the things you're supposed to do. And if you start by doing what Admiral McRaven said and making your bed then that becomes the foundation of handling your business and getting stuff done. I try to teach them to be honest. I try to teach them to value their families. And I try to teach them to compete and to work. And being a good West Texas kid, I try to teach them that when somebody comes up to shake your hand, you stand the hell up. Pardon me, you stand up. Right. You don't keep sitting wherever you're sitting, but you stand up, you grab their hand and you look them in the eye and you shake their hand and exchange greetings. Right. Like, don't be don't be afraid of the people who are around you. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. Like, not just because I'm also from West Texas and I know not everyone shares the same values, but a lot of people are a little more traditional and uh, they do respect kind of those values of making sure that when someone comes to greet you or someone's in your presence that you give them the respect uh, as of any other person. Yeah, I totally get that. Well, and again, so as a measure of central tendency, that is absolutely what you do. But greeting somebody respectfully 
can very much culturally vary. When I lived in Nigeria, there was another American working at our embassy, Rabia Qureshi. Rabia, what, Rabia's dad was Pakistani, her mama was Saudi, um, and she wore the, the, the full Muslim religious dress, and it wasn't appropriate to stand up and, and, you know, shake hands and give the warm, hey, it's good to see you hug, right? Like, that's just not what's done. So, yeah, I try to teach my kids, you know, how to stand up and greet people, but also to pay attention to the situation around you because the things that I want you to normally do aren't always appropriate in every situation all the time. There's just no reason to make another person feel uncomfortable. I know that you have a very interesting dynamic with some of the faculty there at UTPB. For instance, uh, if anyone's had a class with you, like myself, I know that you and Dr. Frawley <laughs> have a very, uh, very interesting dynamic. So can you just kind of go into that with you and Dr. Frawley? Um, as well as just kind of discussing the overall dynamic of professors. So um, the relationships I treasure most in life are the ones where we have ceased being polite. That doesn't mean that you're unkind because you're always kind. You're always nice. But when you cease being polite and are um, unguarded around other people and Mike and I have over the last several years had the opportunity to become very good friends. And as a result of that, we just kind of say what is on our minds. Um, and that is, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary privilege to have friends like that. I've got a whole lot of folks here around UTPB that I've worked with for five or 10 or 12 years. And it, it's nice to have just natural interactions with people that you've known for a very long time. That's part of the great thing about working here at UTPB is there are there are legitimate communities of folks who've worked together for years and years. So you have really good friends that you know incredibly well. Um, and as for Mike, you know what? Most of those stories are, are should probably be edited out of <laughs> a podcast like this. I'll let him go. But I value him very much as a friend. I also very value very much having a professional colleague who cares deeply about making sure that his students are successful and who cares deeply about making sure that our organizational processes work and things are as efficient as they can be. So sure, I like the guy, but what I mostly value is the fact that I've got an ally in serving our students and in making the organization run as well as it possibly can. Learning shouldn't be boring right yeah you should get to have some natural interactions with your faculty members as they really are and utpb is a small enough place that you know what my students ought to get a sense of what i what i'm actually like mm -hmm. and so what are some of the things maybe you do outside of the classroom like what are some hobbies that you enjoy doing i Coach youth baseball. I spend an inordinate amount of time coaching youth baseball. And I love that because I get to see 
much like I enjoy having the same student in multiple classes, I've got kids who've been playing baseball for me for four years now. And it's fantastic that they already know what I want, right? And how to do things and all of that. Um, I enjoy, I talked about it a little bit earlier. I enjoy taking cruises. Now, again, that's not a thing I'm probably doing in the summer of 2020, but I love going on cruises, particularly with my family. I love going to Las Vegas with my buddies. Um, I enjoy planning big international trips. So I spent the Christmas of 2016, uh, New Year's Day 2017, in Indonesia with a friend of mine that I'd worked with in Mexico City. That guy's about to go to Jerusalem. So I'm planning a big trip probably a year or so from now to Jerusalem to see my buddy um, and to see a new corner of the world. I enjoy hiking my land. I love playing golf. We are active in our church. We are, so I, I don't know. I mean, I know Dr. Cox did a podcast on professors or people too. But yeah, <laughs> I've got this, this very rich, full life, which I mean, yeah, it, it involves cruises and having cocktails with my friends and playing baseball and shooting and going to play golf and going to church and to do, I mean, all those other things, which are, I mean, emblematic of, I think, a, a, a reasonably common life for a lot of the folks we live around. Mm -hmm. And I feel like students should talk to the professors more to become more in touch with them because like I had uh, said in the previous podcast with Dr. Cox, I feel like students are maybe intimidated by the authority that like professors have uh, over them in a way. But I mean, I've talked for hours with Dr. Cox and I've talked with you once or twice and I've talked to Dr. Rachel Harlow and Kevin, uh, pretty much all the professors in the communication department. And, you know, I just started to become more involved once I started talking to people. And I really wish that more people, especially if they're living on campus, they would, you know, take some time out of their day just to go make themselves more familiar with their professor. So like, and I'm sure you could agree with that. Um, I love when students come in to talk and you know what, there are better and worse conversations. If the first time that I have met you is the second week of December and you suddenly become intensely interested in your grade, that is a very different conversation from the yeah. one that happens the first or second week of class. If you are in your fourth or fifth class with me, that is again, a very different conversation, but part of college is forming relationships, right? Like that's one of the things that changes to college from high school is you've got to form relationships with the folks around you. So make the point of going out and talking to your professors. That doesn't mean that you're going to be drinking buddies on the weekend, right? And there's stuff like that that's yeah. not appropriate, but you want your professor to know who you are. And frankly, you'll have a better learning experience if you know who your professor is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, Again, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I guess just one last thing. Uh, do you have any uh, shout outs to anyone or any sites that you're involved with? You know what? I, the, who I want to give a shout out to right now is those folks who have been working to keep the university running under the really weird circumstances over the last several months. So certainly my colleagues in the communication department and well, I love to make fun of him, and I will do it as often as possible. I actually think we're going to lunch in about 15 minutes. 
I want to give a shout out to my friend and colleague, Dr. Frawley, who has been working awfully hard to keep all of our student support services running. And in particular to his employee, my friend, um, Dr. John Indiazzi, the head of our academic advising office, it is hard to advise students when all of a sudden you can't see them face to face anymore. And I know that John and his team have been doing some extraordinary work over the last few months. And for all the students listening, you know, shout out, uh, give a shout out to your professors. They've been working real hard to kind of keep this curriculum going. And thanks for tuning in.